0: If you'll turn in your Bibles please to John chapter 11. We ended chapter 10 last week and we saw that chapter 10 was the very last time that Jesus encounters the Pharisees and the religious leaders before he he comes uh, during his Passion Week. Um, And from this time. From this time on, Jesus is really concentrating on strengthening the faith of his friends and his disciples. That is what is the most important to him. He's spending all of his uh, efforts in one purpose. And that is that these very few people um, in the entire planet, if you can imagine how many people would have been living at that moment, Jesus, God, was concentrating all of his efforts in just a very, very few. And um, and he is going to be he is going to accomplish everything that he ever intended to accomplish. And he does it through simple people, uneducated people, people who are not sinless, uh, people who are completely bumbleheads in so many different ways. Um, And this passage here is uh, remarkable. We're going to meet a man named Lazarus. And the only thing that I know about Lazarus is Jesus raised him from the dead. Can you imagine? You're going to meet Lazarus one day and you're going to have to get to know him because you don't know anything about him except that Jesus raised him from the dead. But I still think that in terms of the fact that your life could be lived where the only thing that anybody knows about you is that God has touched you and worked in your life, I say your life is well lived, regardless of what you might give to the nations or give to the to history so let 's read we 're going to uh, break this uh, long passage down into two parts, uh, so Jesus is actually not going to raise him from the dead today um, he 's just going to die today, and then we 'll see that all of it will be set, and then he 's going to to raise Lazarus from the dead, as you know, this passage is talking about us it 's it's us that Jesus raises from the dead. And so, so as I look into the situation, I want to look into the person of Jesus Christ today. This is from verse 1 of chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the feet with ointment and wiped his, hair, uh, his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that he saith to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and thou goest thither again. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things he said, and after then he saith unto him, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he was spoken spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go into him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. And when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and to Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as he heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now whatsoever you will ask of God, he will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, shall he live. And whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So Jesus, remember, had left uh, Jerusalem, and he. The last time he was there was during Hanukkah, so that would have been Christmas time, before in December. And when he when he met with the Jews this last time, they absolutely intended to kill him. They took up stones in order to stone him to death in the street, even though it was against the law to to that the Romans had taken all um, death penalty cases. They would have they would have given their lives just to give him, see him dead. Um, so Jesus leaves, and he goes, It said in the, in the last part of 10, to the Jordan River on the other side of the Jordan River where John the Baptist had originally started baptizing, where Jesus himself had been baptized. And that's where he was with the disciples. So he was not in Judea. He wasn't in Jerusalem at all. He, he had left. And then he had word sent that Lazarus was sick. So, you're going to see that Jesus is going to come back just for that reason. Um, we have met Mary and Martha in, in another passage, and we will see them later. Even uh, in chapter 12, we'll see them. Um, the only thing is that it's apparent that Jesus knew these people and that they knew him and that they were very, very close, that they, that they were friends. And I just wrote down, I love it, that Jesus had friends, that Jesus had friends. The idea that Jesus is God Almighty makes me think of him high, of course, because he's high. That he would have friends means that he would have to accept people as friends. And for God, who knows everything about anybody, why would he accept anybody as a friend? The idea of friendship is that you're giving me something, I'm giving you something, and we're sharing in life together. But this is the whole purpose of God coming to us. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He came to us. And that I don't think it is blasphemous at all to consider true friendship as being something with a person and God. That God could have a friend in us and that we certainly could have a friend in him. <clears throat> I wrote down John uh, James chapter 2. The scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So Abraham was thought of as God's friend. It said that in ample places. Abraham, God's friend. That God saw him as someone that he wished to share life with. <clears throat> that teaches me something about God. Just that teaches me. I have to learn about God. I don't, I'm not born knowing about God. I learn about God. God is high as he can be. There is nothing like him. He has no peers. There's not other gods with God. God is peerless, matchless, and does not need anyone. He doesn't need me to feed him. He doesn't need me to provide for him. We don't need to attend to him. He is perfectly self-subsistent. And he considered Abraham his friend. That's amazing. In John chapter 15, where we're headed, He's going to call his disciples friends. This is from verse 15. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. I, I see Jesus as my friend, but I want to be the kind of person that would be a friend to him. I see him as my friend because he benefits me. He helps me. But he can help me, he can assist me without being my friend. The idea that he would love me and care for me is way different than simply God being high and and coming down to me as I need. That he would would see me as a friend is is something that absolutely amazes me and makes me excited. Now we've met Martha and Mary for the first time in Luke chapter 10, not in John. We haven't seen them in John first, but we see them in, in Luke chapter 10. This is from verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received them into her house. And when she and her sister called Mary also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, why do you not care that my sister has left me alone to uh, to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you're careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. I love these people. I love these people. I had ants like this that just just bustled. Everywhere they went, they just bustled around, and they were busy when there was nothing to do. It just felt like that they were moving from thing to thing, and I was always in their way, and they were always, like, snapping me with a towel. Do you have... People like that. Uh, just the idea that, that they were always showing love. It was love without a doubt. Everybody knew it was love. But it was love in a very interesting way. It was serving kind of love. And Mary it, Mary was annoying to her, irritating to her, because she, she wasn't doing the same thing. Why don't you tell her to make, me, make her help me? But Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, now, this passage says this Mary, this is verse 2, was which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. We don't even see her until chapter 12. This is chapter 11, uh, which is interesting because the account where she wipes his feet with her hair and anoints it with perfume uh, hasn't happened yet in this narrative. But evidently it was... So many people knew of this lady that John, as he's introducing the story, said, Mary, you know her. She's the one that, that wiped his feet with her hair and kissed his feet and anointed her with perfume. So these people are now famous among the people who love Jesus because they were friends of Jesus. Any friend of Jesus is a friend of mine. Do you understand that there are things about you that I would rather spend time with you? than spend time with people that I grew up with. There are, I would rather be with you. And sometimes people would say, oh, you're lying. That's a lie. No, it isn't a lie. I would rather be with someone who loves the Lord than my own family who do not. I, I would rather be there. I would rather spend time with you. And we do not have to be talking about Bible verses. I would simply rather share life with you because you love my Lord. There's something about that. There's, there's a connecting that's way stronger than blood or water. There is a, there's a brotherhood among Christian people to where there's so much fellowship. Fellowship means that we are fellows in something. We have something very, very, very in common. And it's not our personalities. It's not where we live. It's not, our, it's not anything about us. We're different in every imaginable way. But, but to love Jesus is enough for me. I love you, and not just I love you so that i 'll tolerate you, I would really love to know you. I really would love to know you. I would really love that we would that we would be close because we have something that others don 't have just a common hobby or a common uh, background is not enough uh, to to be to pull people together but this is this is what uh, this is what we 'll see now these two sisters who were friends of Jesus and saw Jesus heal. They saw him heal. They saw him do miracles. They knew who he was. Uh, uh, Martha is going to give an amazing testimony as to Jesus. You are the Messiah. And we've only seen that. We've only seen that with Peter. Peter's the only other one. And that's not in John, but in Matthew, thou art the Christ. And Jesus said, I'm sorry. I never taught you that. God taught you that. You never learned that from anybody. God taught you that. And that's the only time, this is the only one in John that we see absolutely. Now, you remember the back, back, back a year and a half ago when we started this, I said Peter, uh, that, that John, who who's re- wrote this, who's the Apostle John, wrote this with the idea of interviews. We see Jesus interacting with people, speaking to people directly. His people that will respond to him and people that will reject him, though both of those interviews are here, and signs. There are seven signs. There are seven miracles. John only picked seven. He didn't do dozens and dozens and dozens like the other uh, Gospels decided to do. He only picked seven very specific ones, and he only picked several speeches where Jesus is speaking, usually to the Pharisees, and then he has several interviews where people are speaking directly to him. Every one of these is to show that Jesus is king, that he is God. That's his purpose. So when, when you hear Martha say, thou art the Christ, it's meant to stop you and say, he's the Christ. I take her word for this. That's John's intent as he, as he put that. Not that it wasn't her words. It was her words, but he chose those words with, with, with the idea there. So she, said, she and her sister sent word to Jesus which is exactly what you should do. And I love this, the way she said it. I don't think I would have said it this way. I would have said Lazarus is sick. But she said, he whom thou lovest is sick. He, she didn't say, Lazarus who loves you is sick. You know, the guilty trip. You know, you know guilt trip people. Gee, Lazarus who really, really loves you is sick. He didn't, she didn't say that at all. She, didn't, she, she just said, the one you love is sick. Please come. Come now. Come now. Come now. Now, I think that's really, really interesting. That's what prayer is. Prayer is running to Jesus on purpose, not as a last resort, but because you know that that's where you're to go. There is no power in this world except Jesus. There is none. There's no power. There is no, nobody has enough smarts to do things through their smarts. The horse doesn't save its rider, and the sword doesn't save the, the king. It doesn't work that way. God, God can save through wickedness. We saw in Sunday school that Jeroboam, the wicked, was the one that God used to save, to save his people and expand his kingdom. And that just makes me scratch my head. God is the one who has compassion. God's the one who works. So when you run to Jesus, that's the way you're supposed to do. And that's exactly right. She did right. She said, where is he? Well, they left. See, Bethany's about two miles, less than two miles, about the distance from here to the high school from Jerusalem, right from downtown Jerusalem. So they lived right on the outskirts of town. Jesus left because they were going to stone him. Where did he go? I think he's on the other side of the Jordan. Well, somebody go get him and tell him that the one who you love is sick. So somebody ran 40 miles to go tell him. Somebody was like, I'll go, I'll go. And they ran and ran and ran. And they went and they found Jesus and they told him what they had. When you pray, you cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. That's First Peter. You cast your cares. It's not that you don't care. You care. Things are happening in your life. You truly care about them and you can't do anything about them. When your mom is in pain, you go to Jesus. You scramble and do everything you know how to do, and you go to Jesus. Jesus is the only one that's going to be able to help. When you're happy, you go to Jesus. When you are confused and don't know anything, when you don't have any money, and when you don't have any ability, and when you don't have any any want to, you go to Jesus. He can help you. So they run to Jesus. And in her mind, Jesus is going to come right now and do something about it, and it doesn't happen it doesn't happen. She did exactly what she thought she should do. We love him because he first loved us. That's what, that is where her underneath there. He loves us because I love him. I love him. Why? He loves me. That's why. If Jesus is still an insurance policy for you, if Jesus is, is the one that you better be good for because if he, he's, he's the one that's going to judge you, which is true. I, I better make sure everything is right. Then you don't know that he loves you. If you don't know he loves you, you're not going to love him. And that, that love is required for you to serve him. Otherwise, you serve him like, like these poor false religions where you're, where you're afraid and everything. All those people burning their babies on the hillside because they thought that their God needed to be appeased. When God was mentioning that, he mentioned to the prophet, he said, that stuff like that never entered my mind. I'm God who invented it all, I created it all, I created you and I don't want you to simply labor under fear. I love you. Does that not do anything to you? And though several people, several people out of a million will open their eyes and go, he loves me, me, that he would be my friend, mine, I can understand that he would be somebody that was awesome somebody good, who was good, someone who did right, someone that, that obeyed all the time, that that would be God's friend, but he knows me. I'm, I've, I'm out of here. No, he loves you, and that does something to you. And if you can see that back, love will come out of your heart. That is response. That is life. That's life. Love is the strongest, strongest thing in the world. Solomon said love never fails. Love is higher than the raging river. It's, it's stronger than any iron band. And it never fails. That is what happens. God loves you. And if you see that and you respond to that with faith, it will change you. It will change you. Well, it changed her. And she sent exactly the way she needed to, with a right heart, perfect faith. And then... It, then you're like well, what happens what is the result what what happened as a word as word okay so so this is so this is John 4 or 11 4 Jesus heard it and said this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God that the son of God might be glorified thereby Jesus said this is not unto death Lazarus dies in this chapter he dies in fact, when he gets to the grave, he's been in the grave for four days. He's already smelling; it's already putrefaction. Jesus says, "This sickness will not end in death." If I were thinking, if I heard him say that, I would say, "Oh, he's going to get better." He dies, but Jesus said, "This is not going to end in death." That's pretty amazing to me. You, when you when you pray and you you say, "I." Trust him. You have to filter even your prayers because what does your trust mean? Will he do exactly what I think he's going to do? You're going to be disappointed. If you think that God is going to act the way you can conceive of him to act, you can't even comprehend what he knows. You have the little one-dimensional idea about nothing with no real experience. You You don't have no freedom. You can't do as you please, but God can do as he pleases. So when he responds, it's not going to look like you're what you want. Joseph asked the baker, when you get back to the palace, please tell somebody I'm here. I'm in this prison, and I've been here for years. And the only thing I did was say that I wouldn't sin against God. The only crime that I committed was not to sin against God. And I've been here for years. Will you please tell somebody I'm here? And he sat for years until God made him the highest in the kingdom, other than Pharaoh. But you're thinking, what, why, how, why not? Because God had a bigger plan for him to bless him and to bless others. And so God's answer is not what you think it is, and she sent, come quickly. And Jesus hears that response and immediately says, this sickness will not end in death, which would make anybody standing around think he's not going to die. Now, I wonder what would happen when those disciples now followed Jesus back and he was in a tomb for four days. That The guy's been dead while we've been traveling. It's it's truly amazing. He does die. I, I pulled this up from Ephesians 2. Even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ, for grace you have saved. He has raised us up together and made us to sit together in he- heavenly places. Now, it's a very... Famous passage I pulled, but it's the end that I wanted to zing you with. He made us to sit together with Him in heavenly places. That's a past tense statement about something that hasn't happened to me yet. We are not in glory with God. But Paul said, He quickened us. He raised us from the dead and made us to sit with Him in heaven in the past. In in the mind of God, the mind of God is outside of time. He doesn't do first and then second and then third. He's looking at it all together. And when he looks at, when Paul was looking at the fact that we're already in heaven in the past, but yet I still have to live my life. But in God's mind, I'm already glorified. I'm already with him. It's the same. God looks at the book from outside the book. He knows that I'm with him, but I'm in the middle of my Tuesdays and Wednesday and Thursday and going on with my stuff and stuff happening to me and I'm not understanding and I'm not obedient and I'm stupid and and I don't see it God does God sees it differently than me. And so we are called to live our lives from an internal perspective. I don't know how to say it. We are to look outside of time and look eternally at what God has decided to do and then tell me whether that's loving or not loving. Okay? not unto death. This is 1st Corinthians. Now we read um, a part of 1st Corinthians today. This is the end of that chapter. This is 1st Corinthians fifteen forty two. So also is the resurrection from the dead. It is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown in natural body it's raised a spiritual body. So in some ways, the little picture on the packet of the seeds is what you're planting. You're planting the finished product, but it doesn't work that way. You know, you put the seed that doesn't look like a sunflower, doesn't look like a tomato, you put it in the dirt and then you cover it up and you walk away. And day after day after day, the Seven year olds will run and say, Is there anything there? And it's nothing, 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 and you're thinking it's gone. And then when you see it, it doesn't even look like what you put. What you put in the ground is not what comes out of the ground. That's what Jesus is. Jesus sees you differently. What you are right now is sown and in uh, corruptible, and you will be raised incorruptible. So when he said this will not end in death, it meant that it will not end in death. Boy, that would confuse me. That would confuse me because I would say he dies. But Jesus is like, no, he doesn't die. This is for God's glory and my glory, which I think is very interesting. This is for my personal glory and for God's glory. This is why it is that he is that I will be glorified by this. And by my being glorified, God will be glorified that God, God is so tied with the Lord Jesus that the whole purpose of God's heart is to glorify Jesus Christ. There is so much love that God has for His Son, Jesus Christ, that He will glorify Him. And the way He has chosen to glorify Him is to save sinners. And when I now look at what I've been given and love Him, I will love Him forever. I'll love Him forever, ever, ever, ever. And it'll get you through dip, deep water. It'll get you through the... The last day, it'll get, get you through the deathbed. It'll get you all the way home because he can look and see this will not end in death. I have something great, and Jesus is going to be exalted. And when Jesus is going to be exalted, God is going to be honored. So it's going to be great honor. So in some ways, it's very much like the man born blind. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither his parents nor him sinned. This is so that God can do great things through him. I'm going to look more like who I am to the world because this man was born blind, because I'm going to give him light. Lazarus died so that Jesus could raise him up. Now, you know that Lazarus dies twice. He dies twice. He dies really dead. He's raised from the dead. He's pulled from wherever he was back to life. And then he lives and he dies again that is an amazing thing that he died twice. It's like having your tonsils pulled out twice. It just doesn't happen, right? This is, this is something where God, God is looking beyond him. And he's, he, he's, he has an appointment. He has an appointment with Jesus, that Jesus's life is for him. So this is verse five. Now, Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus when he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days in the same place where he was. Baffling, baffling. One of the most baffling verses in the world. What in the world does that mean? He loved them. So, therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he didn't move and he didn't do anything. He stayed where he was for two extra days. So, I, I don't know how. How can he love them and delay? I that doesn't make sense. I can't do that. If you were to say come quickly, help me, help me, my house is on fire, I would say, "Oh, I love you" and just roll over in bed. I can't That's not love. That Jesus would stay where he was on the other side of the Jordan River for two extra days before he started moving, and then however long it took him to get to town. Only this I wrote down this. Only Jesus could know that the only thing better than running quickly to help Lazarus was to wait for Lazarus to die. Who else would know that? Because once he was buried in the tomb, Jesus could raise him from the dead. That's what Jesus knew. Jesus doesn't know what you know. So you cannot look at him and say he doesn't love. That he me, he didn't do what I wanted him to do. I prayed and it didn't work. Jesus is bigger than you and he understands more than you. And he loved them. And because he loved them so much, he stayed put waiting for him to die so that he could then do something big. This is huge. This is huge. This is bigger than my brain can handle. You look at Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. Hanging on a cross. God had just rejected him. Rejected him. He cried out in Psalm 22, Why have you rejected me? Why have you turned away from me? And you, if even a believer could then look, If that's all I knew about God, I would say God must hate him. Isaiah In, in Isaiah 53, said the world thinks that God hates him, that anybody that would look at what God did to Jesus must think that God hated him, that his curse was on him. But only God knew that the only way that he could highly exalt Jesus and show the love that was actually big enough for God to have towards Jesus was that Jesus would endure the curse and endure the rejection and then be raised from the dead. God saw beyond that. Even Jesus himself, Hebrews said, he looked beyond the cross and despised the shame of the cross because of the joy that was set before him. He knew what was going to happen and because he knew he had joy as he went forward. There is something bigger than we can see, and we have to trust God for it. We can't see it. We have, when he says he loves us, period, you have to accept that. And because he's loved you, he's given you that experience, you can hold on to that little tiny hand. That little tiny hand, a baby only holds your finger, don't forget, because that's all the hand she's got. So when you trust God, you trust it with whatever little hand you've got, and, and he'll accept it. And he, but you have to truly just say, God knows, and I don't, and I don't understand why things are happening the way they are. God understands, and he loves them. He loved Mary. He loved Martha. Verse 7, then after that he saith to his his disciples, let's go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late have sought to stone you, and you go thither again? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Okay. Jesus answers something very cryptic. I think it's interesting. Jesus answers something and then gets really clear at the end. This is verse 9. Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in a day? This is how he answers. Let's go to Gd, and they're, like, they're going to throw rocks at you till you die. And he goes, aren't there 12 hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not because he sees the light of this world. If a man walk at night, he stumbles because there's no light in him. Jesus is saying, my light's not out yet. My day's not done yet. My appointment with Lazarus is the same as my appointment with the woman at the well, same as my appointment with Nicodemus, same as my appointment with the Pharisees, same as my appointment with every demoniac. I had an appointment, and it's just the same appointment as I have the rest. My, life, my day is not done. I still have work to do. And they were like, huh? And so he goes, he, he goes on. He says, these things said he... And after that he saith to them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I might wake him from sleep. This is verse 11, 12. Then he says, Disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll do better, howbeit Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought he had spoken of taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said plainly, Je- Lazarus is dead. Like, he said it really nicely. He, he didn't use the word die. He used the word sleep. He was being nice, and everyone was like, I don't get it. He's dead, honeys. But see, but see, even the disciples, they just heard that this won't end in death. They're just confused. Can you imagine? You're just like, okay, just take me by the hand. I'll just follow you wherever you're going. I don't even know what's going on. And they just follow him. Now, 15 is interesting. This is weird. This is, this is verse 15. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe, nevertheless, let's go to him. I'm glad that he died because of you, that for the intent that you may believe. Do you understand? He's working in his disciples. Right now, it's his disciples he's concentrating on. He's left the Jewish uh, leaders who've rejected him. That will happen according to the way it needs to happen. He's not worried about them. He's only worried about his disciples. His disciples must have faith. They must have real faith. They must have big boy faith, and that's going to take teaching. And so if I were there, I would have healed him. Boy, I'm glad I wasn't there, so I would have healed him. Because if I would have healed him, you would have just thought it was one of the miracles like all the other miracles that you've seen millions of, and you're still doofus. You've watched me and watched me watched me, and it's not catching on. I'm glad he died. What? For your sake that you might believe. Let's go, and that's what he says. So they go. Then Thomas, Didymus in King James just means he was a twin. Thomas, which is, he is the twin, Thomas the twin, said unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, Thomas is pretty good. That's perceptive. Thomas, doubting Thomas, he knows if we go back there, they're going to kill us. I know, what, I know what I saw. I know that they were going to kill you. I know it was a miracle that we're, that we're here for us to go back. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea. Jesus said, let's go. And Thomas was like, all right, let's go die. He was just ready. Let's go into the breach. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go die with him. That's interesting. The disciples recognized the danger. I just think that's kind of cool. Jesus of course understood the danger, but Jesus is in control. There's another thing to learn about him. Verse 17, then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now why am I glad that he's dead so that you will believe? Um, This one's a little hard. You have to go to what the Jews were taught. Um, I dug a, a book that I've never looked at before. This is the first time I've ever looked at this book. It's called the Babylonian Talmud. The Talmud is simply the teaching of the rabbis. So it was all of their kind of commentary, not just on the Bible, but what they taught. And the Babylonian one was, you know, several hundred years before Jesus. And they taught that a man's soul, after he dies, hovers over his body and is possible that he can basically resuscitate. So he might not be really dead yet. In fact, that's the whole idea of visual. People have done this in all cultures, all throughout the centuries. A dead body, grandma dies, and you lay her out in the good room. I don't know if you all had a good room, okay? You laid her out in the good room, no one was ever allowed in the good room, it was only for things like this, and they put her out in the good room, and usually her daughter granddaughter or whatever sat up all night with the body, with a candle burning, okay? It even happened here. This is a very, very normal Appalachia thing. Why? You wanted to make sure they were dead. I hate to say that, but you know it would be awful to be buried and go, "Hey, hey, you made a mistake." Okay, so the idea is you just waited. You were like, "Well, maybe they're not dead. Maybe they're just... Maybe I don't understand what death is." Well, the the Jewish rabbis taught that for three days that just hovered, hovered, never went to where it was going, and it's possible that it could come in. But the the last sentence said, "But after three days, you can bury them because that." The spirit won't come back after three days. So Jesus had to wait. He was like, when well, he dies today, it's going to take us a day. to. Oh, we have to go wait two days. Hold on a minute. And he waits so that by the time he gets there, he's been in that tomb for four full days. Because then nobody is going to be able to say when he healed him, oh, he just resuscitated. He got back. He got better. Okay, I'm not dead yet. So the whole idea that, that, that Jesus waited was basically to prove to his disciples that he actually healed him from the dead, that he raised him from the dead because everybody would, would not believe it. This is verse 18. Bethany was nigh into Jerusalem, about two miles away, 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary, comforting them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as he heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. And Mary still sat at the house. Then Martha said, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know even now that whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it to me. Now that's really beautiful. That's heartbreak and faith at the same time. You look into that lady. She loved him. She believed him. She trusted him. And she was disappointed that God's okay with that. God loves you during your disappointment. When you're disappointed with God, God's okay. That's not hate. That's not the same as hate in your heart. That's I don't understand. You told me this. And to the little I understand you, it should be different. And God's like, it's because you don't understand well enough. But I love you. And, and it's interesting. Jesus then asked her a question. Or he says something first. Your brother will ri- rise again. Now, as I sat here and, and chewed, most of the time when I sit in my chair and write this, I just ask myself questions, that's all I do. I look at it and go, and I ask myself questions. And I just think about it. And my question that I asked myself to hear was, did she really think that he just said that he was gonna raise him from the dead? Like, I wonder if it even crossed her mind because she understood there would be a resurrection, there would be a last day, there would be a final day, and there would be re- the, the dead would be raised. Okay, we read that together today, this morning. She understood that. She understood what we believe, that God taught us what was true. But the idea that Jesus was right there and that he could do it, I wonder if it even, I think yes, because she just said, even now, whatever you ask God, he'll give it to you. That's faith. It's little faith, but it's faith. She said that, and he said, your brother will rise again. And I don't think she had the guts to just presume, oh, do it now. I don't think she had the guts. She was like, "Well, I know that he'll rise again in the last day." And then Jesus just laser laser out with a, with a taser. Jesus said, "I am the resurrection. Is there resurrection? Yes. Why? How? Me? That's why I raise people. It's me that does that. We've seen this all throughout John five. there was 20 verses all about this, and I will raise them up the last day. God gave me life in myself, and I will raise them up. That he says, I'm the resurrection, and I'm life. You have to know what that means. You have to reprogram your sin-tainted brain. I'm life. To trust in me is to trust in life. To trust in me is to trust in power. I will raise you from the dead. He that believeth in me, even though he were dead, he shall live. Oh, my goodness, tell me that's not hard. That's hard. Even though he were dead, yet he will live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now Jesus said the next thing that truly I just stopped in my tracks. As I sat there, I was like, I don't even know what to write. What do I write? His next question is this. Do you believe this? Look at the verse on the screen. And so whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Tell me how she could believe it. Like no one had ever told her that ever. That was brand new idea in her mind. What do you say to that? Do you say yes? I promise if you ask me a question like that and I say yes, I'm lying. That's a lie. I'm just, I'm making it up. I don't even know what I'm, what I'm answering to. Okay? It's like when I ask my kids, what's the answer to this? And they say true. They don't know if it's true or not. They just know it's either true or false. And they always pick true because it's first. And they don't know what to say. And it's exactly here. Do, and do you believe that anyone that lives and believes in me shall never die? Do you believe this? And then the spotlight's on Martha, and she goes, what, do you, what would you say? Now, he's just hit you with number five, I am. Remember that? I am, I am, I am. This is God. I am is God. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I don't know if that, if that touched Martha's brain or not. But she's just sitting here, she's just said, "I know that God will do whatever you ask Him him, and then He just hits you, I'm resurrection, I'm life. and if you believe in me, you will not die. Do you believe this?" What does she answer? She saith, "Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ." The Son of God which shall come to the world. That's what she believed. Do you understand she answered correctly? She didn't say yes, because she didn't believe that. She didn't understand it yet. What she understood was that Jesus, you are the Son of God, and you will do as you please. That's faith. You are going to be asked questions by God bigger than you can answer all of your life. Do not answer lying answers. Do not say, Yes, I understand, yes, I believe. Because do you believe? And the, and the man with the, with the paralyzed son said, I do believe, help my unbelief. Because you are, you're not trying to impress God. You are living real in front of God. Jesus just asked her something that couldn't be answered, and she answered, you are the Christ. So Jesus being the Christ means that whatever you say goes. That's all I know. I know you're the Christ. If I, you're the Christ, then all the stuff that I don't understand can fall in its, in its place. And be organized the way you want it to organize. And I, if you want to tell me that biological death doesn't interrupt the continuity of real life, if that's what you're saying, then I believe it. But that If that's what you're saying, that I can go to a funeral, and a Christian funeral can truly be different from a non-Christian funeral, if that's what you're saying, Jesus, then yes, I believe it, because I believe that you're, you're the Christ that you can truly, are we truly faking when someone dies and you, the body's laid out here and we have singing and we're rejoicing and we're thanking God. I went to a funeral once and had to listen to the entire 21 ver- minutes of the guitar solo to Stairway to Heaven. I'm not kidding. you. All 21 minutes sitting awkwardly. In a, because what are you going to do when you don't believe in God? What are you going to do? What, you, what is there any hope? There's no hope. It's, I'll never see you again. We're separated and I'll never see you again. I loved you with all my heart and now you're gone forever. There's nothing but despair. Jesus said, I'm resurrection. <laughs> you have to say, I don't understand that. Do I believe it? I don't know if I believe it, but you're the Christ. You tell Jesus what you believe. And he takes care of all the stuff you don't understand. Is that beautiful? That is beautiful. That is the message of the entire Bible. It rivals It rivals. Everything in terms of the peace and hope. I'm the resurrection and the life. Amen.